You are welcome to the teaching ministry of Nelson Ihiagwa. Be stirred as you listen. All right, let's go for the word. For the last, um, since last week, and actually since we started, well, not since we started, but we've actually been talking about apologetics. We've been talking about apologetics. We've been, sorry, not apologetics, hormonetics. My bad. We've been talking about hermeneutics. We've been talking about the laws of biblical or Bible interpretation and how to interpret the Bible. Um, this is really important because a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, um, they don't know how to interpret the Bible. They think the Bible is meant to be misunderstood. They think the Bible is meant to be misunderstood, or the Bible is a mystery, or, you know, when you just open the Bible, is that particular thing you see that is, um, you know, that particular thing that you see, that's what it's supposed to, you know, like when you open the Bible and then Judas, God, Jesus tells Judas, he say what you want to do, do it speedily. You know, they just think that, oh, that is the Lord speaking to me and all that. You know, so when a lot of people open their Bible, the first thing they see, they just assume that okay, that is exactly how the Bible is supposed to be, right? But no, actually, that is not what God intended for Bible study. The Bible is not um, haphazard, all right? The Bible is not haphazard. The Bible was written as letters or as different books to be understood. And that's one thing we've been looking at right now. We've been looking at the laws of Bible interpretation. And last week we looked at... Um, oh, excuse me. Last week... Can somebody tell me what we looked at last week? If you were there... If you were there, what did we look at last week? Okay, taking the word at face value, yeah. Okay, I'll just go straight to it. We looked at the liberal interpretation of the word. And what that means basically is... When the word um, has one meaning, or when, when a verse of scripture has an obvious meaning, you should seek no other meaning. When a verse of scripture has an obvious meaning, you should seek no other meaning. Please share the link on your status, share with your groups, share with your friends, tell them to join in for this amazing time of Bible study. Okay? Alright, so today, because we have a lot to look at today, I'm just going to run very quickly. Um, some of these laws that I'm just stating out, I'm stating them out just for clarity, but we have used them when we are looking at a couple other verses and to further buttress a particular point. But I'm just going to um, state it out for clarity's sake, okay? So, uh, number one, and number two, another law, you know, another law of Bible interpretation is this, or another law of Bible homonautics is this. One thing to look out for when you're studying your Bible is to look at the context in which words are used. You know, someone said truth does not exist in a vacuum. Truth exists in a context. I say that again. Truth does not exist in a vacuum. Truth exists in a context. Now, a lot of people want to... Uh, give particular Bible verses or they just pick particular Bible verses out of his sentence and they say this is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ to me but 
in an entire sentence, you cannot just speak um, four words. Or in a chapter that has 33 verses, like we looked at last week of Matthew 6, you cannot just look at, you cannot just go to um, chapter, you cannot just go to chapter um, verse 33, rather, My, you know, Matthew 6. You cannot just go to verse 33, you know, and just pick it out and say, seek ye first. Whereas there are 32 other verses before that were building up to that particular thought that you wanted to emphasize on, okay? There were 32 other verses that were building up to that particular thought that you wanted to emphasize on. So, it's not wise to do that. That is wrong Bible study. That is wrong Bible study. So, let's just look at a few verses um, that are commonly taken out of context. And a lot of people wrongly interpret, okay? So, the first, the second law of Bible interpretation we'll be looking at through everything we've said is, um, number two right now is the law of context. 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 The first one I will start with is Philippians chapter 4. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4. Are you there? Please turn your Bible with me. Um, one very important thing about Bible study is you don't just know better about the Bible. You also know how to teach. Okay. <clears throat> So I want you to engage with me even as we look at this. Philippians 4. Alright. Verse 13. <coughs> Excuse me. Philippians 4.13. So a lot of people use this verse and say, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Okay. A lot of people say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Another translation says, who strengthens me. Now, a lot of people just pick that verse and say, ooh, I can do all things. When it comes to my exams, I can do all things. Why? Christ is strengthening me. When it comes to my finances, all things. Why? Christ is strengthening me. You know? And someone said something very profound. He said, if you remove a text from the context, all is left is con." And you know, a con man is someone who wants to scam, scam people, okay? So if you remove a text from the context, all you have is con. If you remove a word away from the surrounding statement, sentences, the way from the surrounding words it was used, all you will end up with is a lie. The truth of the matter is this. Many cults, many pseudo-Christian circles have been formed by a wrong interpretation of the word. Most times, by words taken out of context. They just hammer a few words, they emphasize it, and all those things. You know, I, I, I think Ini and I, um, my friend, the engager, we were talking to or some Jehovah's Witnesses. They were evangelizing, so we ran to meet them to evangelize to them, right? And, you know, the lady was quoting Zephaniah, and she said, there'll be fire on the earth, and all those you know, judgment, prophecies, and all that stuff. And I said, hmm, who exactly is he talking to? That's what I asked. I said, let's look at verse 1. And we read it, and she was like, but can't it be used? But the question is, there is a, there is, um, every verse of scripture has a targeted audience and targeted use. And if it must be used, you know, when you're studying the Bible, part of context is who is, who is being spoken to? What is being said? 
Who is it being said to? These things are very important because if we lose all these surrounding texts, we will just make scriptures say whatever they want to say. I remember someone said something. He said, um, anybody can make scriptures say whatever they want to say. Scriptures will only say whatever you want them to say when you take them out of context. Scriptures will only say whatever they want to whatever you want them to say when you take them out of context. So if you don't pick scriptures out of context, if you allow scriptures interpret themselves in their free flow, then there is no way or there is no magic you want to do that will um, have scriptures being that will have scriptures giving your own interpretation. Remember what we said. A verse of scripture can never say today what it has never said. It can never mean today what it has never meant. Okay? So, Philippians 4.13 now. How do you read in context? You don't... How to read in context is this. You don't just read a particular verse. You read the verses before and you read the verses after. So the verses before is called the pretext. The verses after is called the post-text. Then the verse in the middle is called the context. Okay. So what that means is, if you want to understand the context of a verse, you have to read the verses before and the verses after to understand the verse. If you want to read, if you want to get a verse, you read the verses before and the verses after to understand the verse. So let me give you a quick example from what we started on last week. All right. You know, last week I was talking about. Um, uh, what's the name now? Last week I was talking about, you know, Jesus. When he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And a lot of people have used that for worship. They say, lift him, lift him, so he will draw. But then when we read the verse after, we got to find out that what he was talking about was this he spoke about his death. So the lifting up there had nothing to do with worship. The lifting up there had everything to do with his death. And because that is exactly what the context explains it to be, we cannot, ex we cannot expect it to be anything else. Okay? If we agree that truth is objective, then a verse of scripture can only mean one thing. And we get to accept what that one thing is. Okay? So, um, Philippians 4 now. Philippians 4. Let's read uh, the verse. Let's read from verse... 10 from verse 10 or verse 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 9 let's read from verse 9 many times when you use when you see the word all used in the bible and we're going to look at the, the three major times it's used and is misconstrued you need to understand in which context is the all used here okay in which context is the all used here let me use from verse 10 look at what paul said he said but i rejoiced in the lord greatly that now at the last, your care of me has flourished again. Wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. Verse 11 now. Philippians 4.11. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, dear with to be con content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. The word abased. Okay, you know what? I'll read it in another translation. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen, 
which strengtheneth me. Verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with, with my affliction. Let me read. So we understand the meaning of um, abase and abound. Let me read it in ISV. Going from verse, verse 12. Look at Paul speaking. He said, I know how to be humble and I know how to prosper. In each and every situation, I have learned the secret of being full and of going hungry, of having too much and of having too little. 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, it was kind of you to share my troubles. So, what exactly are the all things Paul can do? He, when he said all things there, he was not talking of academics, finances, um, 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 he was not talking about all things here did not mean his academics. All things here did not mean his finances. All things here did not mean his car. Paul did not enter a car and say, I can do all things so I can drive. So all things here means my car. No. More specifically, the word all there will mean all these things. Because that all has a specific context. Okay? So that Philippians 4, when Paul spoke like that and said, um, um, I can do all things through him. You, the question to ask is, what are the things? What is the specific context in which all exists and all makes sense? It will be in verse 12, where he said, I have learned how to abase and I have learned how to abound. Or, like um, ISV put it, I have learned how to be humble, I have learned how to prosper. I have learned how to have much and I have learned how to have what? Little. So, he's saying, I know how to have all, I know how to have small. Whether it is all, whether it is small, I can abound in all these things because Christ gives me strength. I can abound in all these things because Christ gives me strength. This might not really um, be so clear to some of you, but let me, let me look, let's look at a couple of other verses that all is also used so that we can make sense. Go to Ecclesiastes 10. Ecclesiastes 10. Guys, am I making sense? So far, at least. Ecclesiastes 10. Thank you, Jesus. Ecclesiastes 10. Let's go to 19. 19. Are you there? Look at what it says. It says, A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry. Look at this. It says, But money answereth what? All things. Now, a lot of people misunderstand this particular verse, and they say, After all, the Bible says money answers all things. You know? They say, After all, the Bible says, Let me read it in ESV like I posted. Um, bread is made for laughter and wine gladdens life and money answers everything you know the all kjv uses all things you need to understand that the word all there has a specific context to be very honest there are things in your life money cannot answer money cannot answer um, um uh, uh what's the word now money cannot answer good health let's start from there for example Money cannot answer good health. And I said that for this purpose. You see, um, when a man has 
cancer that cannot be treated. They've done chemo. They've done everything. They've done all that. Money cannot answer that one. You know, when a man's marriage is falling apart and he's very rich, money cannot answer that one. In fact, in the Bible, Simon the sorcerer came and said, let me give you money so that you will, you will give me this power that I may lay my hands on people and they too will receive the Holy Ghost. What did Peter tell him? Your money perish with you. So money does not answer that one. So it is faulty to still go by the assumption and say, oof, money answers all things. Because even biblically speaking, there are things that money does not answer. How did Jesus put it? Jesus said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Basically, Jesus is telling us, your life is not summed up in how much you have or how much you do not have. I.e., how much you have or how much you do not have is not summed up in your wealth. So money does not answer exactly to who you are. Money does not answer to what your life is. Guys, am I making sense, please? Money does not answer that one. So, what exactly is this verse saying? Remember, we're looking at context. Okay? We're looking at context. Uh, let me read from verse 16. It says, What to thee, O land, when thy king is a child, and thy princes eat in the morning? See that context. When your king is a child and your princes eat in the morning. Blessed art thou, O land, when your king is the son of nobles, and thy prince eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. So when he says they eat in the morning, he's not talking about breakfast. He's talking about people who just eat for eating's sake. You know, they are basically, they are engaging in revelries. They are engaging in party after party. Basically, that's what he said. Verse 18. He says, by much slothfulness, the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands, the house droppeth through. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Let me read it in another translation before I give an explanation to this. Let me read it in um, BBE. Bible in basic English. It says, Unhappy is the land whose king is a boy, and whose rulers are feasting in the morning. Happy is the land whose ruler is of noble birth, and whose chief take food at the right time, for strength and not for feasting. When no work is done, the roof goes in, and when the hands do nothing, water comes into the house. A feast is for laughing, and wine makes glad the heart, but by the one and the other, money is wasted. What does he mean by the one and the other? He's talking of feasts. Feed, um, by feasts, that's eating and spending of wine. Basically, what is he talking here? You need to understand that Ecclesiastes here is actually, the context here is talking of a king to begin with. Okay? He's talking of a king to begin with. And him talking about a, a king, right? You know what? Let me, before then, let me read it in Young Literal Translation. So I think this one makes even more sense. He says, What to thee, O land? When thy king is a youth, and thy princes do eat in the morning, happy art thou, O land, when, the, when thy son is a son of a free man, and thy princes do eat in due season, for might and not for drunkenness. You need to reflow with the thoughts that is being presented in the context. Look at this. By slothfulness, he's not just talking of laziness as a whole. He's saying this 
statements within a particular context. That's within the kings, within the context of nobles and kings, right? He said, by slothfulness is the world brought low, and by idleness of thy hands does the house drop. He says, for mirth they are making a feast, and wine makes life joyful, and the silver answereth with all. So, as we have read all these things, what exactly is money answering here? What is that all that money is answering here? Simple. The feasting and the wine. The feasting and the wine. The feasting and the wine is exactly what money is answering. So, when you say money answers all things, it is not everything. In this context, it is the feasting and the wine that the kings are throwing that money is answering to. Or better said, let me even give a, 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 more, a more historical approach, you know, context to this particular verse. He was talking about the king, okay? He said the kings and the nobles, they are fasting, they are, they are feasting rather. They are throwing revelries, they are throwing parties and they are doing all those things. How did the early kings have time to do all those things? It was by taxing the people. And in taxing the people, they got money. And in getting money, they... Um, engaged in all those revelries so the all things that money answered was their parties their feasting their wine and their money and their party their feasting they are making merry and they are eating basically guys do we get this so the same way in philippians 4 the all things that paul said he can do through christ which gives him strength is speaking of the abasing and speaking about the abounding the same thing, okay? The same thing is being spoken of in um, uh, the same thing is being spoken of here. That the all things that money answers is the feasting and the throwing of party. Praise the Lord, guys. Am I making sense? Am I being clear, please? I need you to answer me. Am I am I being clear? Is this making sense? Are you learning something? Let me look at another, the last place I will pick on where all is used. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I think this one is more commonly used. Romans 8. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to His purpose. For whom he did for new, he also predestinates, conformed to the image of his son, and all that. Now, a lot of people, you know, when they read this verse, they say, Ooh, all things work together for my good. All things work together for my good. They say, all things, all things. Now, listen, you need to understand that there is a context to that all. Like I said, there is a context to that all. So, um, the more specific part will be all these, okay? All these. So, when it says all things work together for good, we need to understand the context of that all. The way in Philippians 4, you know, the all had a context which was abasing and abounding. Ecclesiastes 10, all had a context which was making merry and throwing feasts. In this verse too, all has a particular context. Okay? So, we know that. So, a lot of people might say things like, um, all things work together. So, they now say, ooh, when it comes to throwing parties, or rather, even if I have an accident, it's working for my good. If I lose my job, it's working for my good. If things don't go my way, it's working for my good. Not exactly. That is not what this verse is saying. 
this verse is not saying is not using all in that context guys am i am i making sense is not using all in that context so when the bible says all things here works together for good let's look at the verse let's look at the verse it says let me read from verse 20 27 and he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the spirit but he that because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of god and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Now, the next verse, he's, he's, he's giving context to what he said in 28. For whom he did foreknew, he also did predestinate. Alright? He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, look at this. Whom he did predestinate, them he also called. So, him saying um, those who are called according to purpose is the same thing as saying that those who he predestinated. Now, there's a lot to say here about the Calvinism argument, but the predestination here, as we look through Romans 8, 9, 10, 11, we get to find out that the predestination is in Christ. God predestinated that all men be saved in Christ. Not that God has chosen that um, this will be saved, this will not be saved. No. The end point of God's predestination is Christ, okay? But that's another story. But this is the thing. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that called according to his purpose, okay? So, what are the all things that work together for good? The all things here is what he's explaining in 29, he's explaining in 30, he's explaining in 31, he's explaining that we who he foreknew, he predestinated to be conformed into the image of his son, we who you know, 13 now goes on to say, um, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. 31. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can get against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So, what are the all things here that work for our good? Simply put, I'm justified. I'm glorified. I'm predestinated. In, I conform to the image of his son. I am the one who is called. These are the things that have worked for my good. Okay? These are the things that work for my good. This is the context of the all things that work together for my good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Ah, I hope we get this. Okay, I'm just going to move on. All right. So, the thing is this, when you're studying your Bible, listen, I said this again and I'll say it, I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it a million times more. The truth is this, Bible, the Bible was written to be understood. The Bible was written to be understood. I say it again, the Bible was written to be understood. Okay, so, um... You need to get that. And that's something that that's something that hampers a lot of people in Bible study. They approach the Bible first like it is not supposed to be gotten. Like they are not supposed to understand it first. Alright? And then it hampers their understanding of what the word even says. Because they are defeated before they even start reading. The Bible was given to be understood. Praise the Lord. Another one on context. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Wow, this, this took longer than I thought. Don't worry. 
Um, if we cannot, I, I thought we'll be able to cover two tonight. But if we can't cover two tonight, there's no issue. We will um, cover. Um, we'll cover the next one next week. It's okay. There's no hurry. Mm. Except Jesus comes. But there's no hurry. Matthew 7. Praise the Lord. Matthew 7, 1. A lot of people love this one. A lot of people love this one. Matthew 7, 1. Hallelujah. Matthew 7, 1. Um, you know, have you ever spoken to somebody and they say, Judge not! And you will not be judged. <laughs> they love this particular one. They say, Judge not! And you will not be judged. How? Why are you judging me? He said, judge not, and you will not be judged. But this verse has a particular context. Listen, if you know the particular context in which verses are used, people will not bobo you with them. People will not. You know, I think there's, if you listen to the entire series, if you go to our Telegram channel, t.me forward slash Nelson Inhaguam, okay, you will see um, the explanation of some verses there. You know, there's a particular one that we spoke about. You will see, you will see the um, explanation of some verses there, okay? And that that particular verse, um, what's the word now? You, I think I explained them. Um, uh, what's this verse now? Um, I think is it Luke, Luke, Luke five thirty two, Luke six thirty two. Give and it shall be given unto you. I explained how that verse had nothing to do with money, okay? And how it had nothing to do with God. All he had everything to do with was actually the system of giving and receiving among men. Among men. And it was not if you give hundredfold, you receive hundredfold. I explained that. That's also how you explain context. Okay. But look at this Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. He said, judge not that you be not judged. Well, there's a particular context to this. Let's read verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye met, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in your own eye? Or how will you say to your brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thy eye, and behold, the beam is in your own eye? Thou hypocrite. Look at this. First cast out the beam out of your own eye, then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote which is in your what brother's eye. This is the there's a specific context to this particular teaching. Why did I say that? Because there is this verse is not it did not just stay judge not so you will not be judged. Because the truth of the matter is whether we all like it or not, we will stand before the judgment seat of God. So you might as well judge. <laughs> okay. We all stand before the judgment seat of God, so you might as well judge. I'm joking. But um, let's explain what this verse is saying. This verse has a particular context. He's not saying don't judge. In quote, what Jesus is at, in fact, we see Paul saying stuff like, I judge as one who was already present. Do you see that? We see Paul saying many times, he said, I judge as one who was already present. You know, you will see um, Jesus, ah, okay, I think we'll get to that verse. Jesus saying, you know, we'll get to that verse. Anyways, but look at this. People need to understand that this particular verse is saying, um, he's saying that take out the sin in your own eye 
before you judge the sin in another person's life. How can you not see the error in your eye? Basically saying, judging all disobedience when your own obedience is complete. How can you call out another person when you too, you've not repented of the same thing you are calling out? So it's just like you are calling out another person on keeping malice, but you also have a problem with keeping malice. Okay? You are calling out another person for, um, um, you know, harboring hurt, but you also, you are harboring hurt. You are harboring hurt against another person. Whereas, you said that, I don't like this person, she harbors hurt, and all those things. That is exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, take out the beam out of your eye, so that, so basically what Jesus is saying is, if um, um, the beam in your own eye was not there, then you should be able to, in quotes, call out the issue in another person's eye. When I say call out, this is what I mean. Of course, the Bible um, tells us how to handle a believer in error. So, Jesus is not saying because you are perfect, make other people feel bad. No. I'm just using this to explain the context. The context of this does not end in judging not so that you will not be judged. No. Jesus was actually calling out the hypocrisy of the Jews. He was calling out the hypocrisy of the people who were, who were listening to him. So the context of this was calling out hypocrisy. The context of this was not exactly saying you should not judge. Guys, do we get this? Do we get this? The context of this was not saying you should not judge. The context of this was calling out hypocrisy. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. I think I'm just going to assume everybody knows. Let me just pause and take one. Do we, do we understand this? Let me see if we understand this before I move on. Do we understand this? Again, let me say this. The context of this is not when you are perfect, you insult another person. No. no. The context of this was calling out hypocrisy. So the context of this was not even... When you are perfect, you insult another person. No, Jesus even, and Paul was teaching us in Romans 15. He said, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. You know, Galatians 6 teaches us that we who, um, we who are spiritual ought to restore a one, you know, who has erred. Okay? Let's read another verse that is mostly taken out of context. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Are you there? It says, in fact... Let me, the, the misunderstood part of this verse is not just verse 20. It's from verse 19 and, let me read 19, 20. Again, I say unto you, if two of you shall agree on anything as, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. <laughs> okay, let's read it from verse 15. Look at this. He said, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he shall hear you, you have gained a brother. But if he will not hear you, then take with thee 
one or two more. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every mouth, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he shall neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as unto a hidden man and a publican. 18. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father in heaven. 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in my midst. Now, look at this. Peter understood what Jesus was talking about. Then he now asked the question. If Jesus was talking about spiritual authority or sp agreeing in the spirit, then you are praying for something, you know. Why did he ask the next question? Why didn't he ask about prayer or ask about, um, 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 you know, binding evil spirits? Look at the next The next question he asked was about forgiveness. He said, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I will forgive him? Till seven times? And Jesus said, no, I didn't say seven. I said 70 times seven. Now, what exactly is verse 18 to 20 saying? Whatever you bound on earth, bound in heaven, lose on earth, lose in heaven. If two shall agree as touching anything on earth, then where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. What exactly is this verse saying? Simply put, you have to read it from verse 15 into 16 into 17. Basically, he's talking of church discipline. That if your brother offends you and you go and meet him and he does not repent, you take two people, he does not repent, you take the church and he does then you should treat him as a hidden. And Jesus is saying, verse 18, when he said, bound on earth is bound in heaven, lose on earth is losing heaven. In verse 19, when he said, um, if two of you agree as touching anything, my father has basically stamped it. Then he said, where two of you are, there I am. What he means by that is, where two of you are in agreement to discipline a brother, then my authority has agreed with your discipline. This is exactly seen when Paul did what? Paul handed over somebody to the devil that he may repent guys do we understand this so when you look at these verses that are used you get to understand that 18 19 20 is commonly misunderstood and misconstrued they are actually talking about church discipline but a lot of people think that they are talking about spiritual warfare and spiritual authority ah He's talking about, he, he was talking about discipline. That is exactly why I say again that the next question that, Pope, that Peter asked was about forgiveness, not about prayer. The next thing he asked was about forgiveness. Glorio. Guys, if you need me to go over that verse again, just, just um, talk to me in the chat section. I'll go over that verse again. If you need me to go over that verse again, just talk to me in the chat section and I will. You know, or you have a particular question on that verse. Let's hear. That's the last verse. We cannot take the other law of Bible interpretation tonight. Time is already fast spent. Okay, okay. Someone said I should go over it. All right. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. So let's 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 go. Open your Bible, please. Open your Bible and read along with me. Open your Bible and read along with me, please. 
Please open your Bible and read along with me. Um, don't worry, if you need me to go over it, I will. That's what the teaching ministry is for. Matthew 18. We're looking at understanding verses in context. Okay? We're looking at understanding verses in context. Now, the verses here that we are looking at that are not used in context is Matthew 18, 18 to 20. Matthew 18, 18 to 20. If you read just 18 to 20 without reading the other verses, we will miss the context. Okay? So let me, let me go over it again. Let's just read 18 to 20, the commonly misconstrued parts. He said, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Reading it like that, it looks like the verse is talking about spiritual warfare and spiritual battles and spiritual authority. Okay? But, there's a specific context in which those verses are used and we will only understand the context if we read this verse from Matthew 18, 15. Okay? If we read it from Matthew 18, 15. So let's go to verse 15. Look at what it says. It says, Moreover, if thy brethren, or if thy brother, okay, hold on now. Moreover, uh, let me read it in KJV first now. It says, If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained your brother. 16. It says, But if he will not hear you, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Look at 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if, if, he, if he neglects to hear the church, then let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. Then what does he say next? He said, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Hold on. This binding and losing is not independent of verse 16 and 17. Verse 16 and 17 is talking of what? Church discipline. Discipline among brethren. Discipline among saints. Okay? That is exactly what 16 and 17 is talking about. So he's saying here, he likens that discipline to binding and losing. I.e., he said, I say unto you what you shall bind on earth. And what does he mean by that? He means, let him be unto you as a heathen man and as a publican. The judgment you pass on him within the parameters of my word is agreed upon by me. So that is exactly what Jesus means by bound on earth, bound in heaven. You go to verse 18. Um, 18, he says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth is lose in heaven. Look at verse 19. He says again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree, this verse 19 is buttressing what he said in verse 18, which is buttressing what is spoken about in verse 16 and 17, which speak about what? Discipline still. Okay? That if two of you shall agree on anything as touching anything on earth, um, they shall ask. If, 
sorry, let me read that again. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Look at 20. It says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So you need to understand this. Verse, Jesus was such a good teacher that verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20 are actually speaking of the same things. They are buttressing the same point in three different ways. Verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20. Now, we look at verse 21. Peter understood what Jesus was, spoke, was speaking about. That he did not ask Jesus about spiritual warfare. He did not ask Jesus about prayer. He did not ask Jesus about any other thing. What did he ask Jesus? He asked Jesus. He said, then came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Because he understands that it is church discipline that he's speaking about. Or it is discipline among the saints. How to handle relationship among the saints and then how to handle, you know, believers. And all those things. So he understands what he's talking about. Then he asks him that question. Not about dealing with demons. Okay? How do we see this play out in the New Testament? We see Paul rebuke a brother for sinning openly. Them rejoicing about it. And what did Paul actually do? And Paul says, hand him over to Satan. And Paul calls the unrepentant, in quotes, believer, because that's a paradox. A believer cannot be unrepentant. Anyways, Paul calls the unrepentant believer wicked. And he only uses wicked for unbelievers. So, in Paul handing that person over to the devil, or Paul using words like, I judge as if I'm already present, or... Again and again, we begin to see in the epistles where Paul says things like, stay away from a brother who is lazy or a brother who remains in evil and in fornication and all those things. Paul says, stay away from that brother. I judge as if I'm already present. Or he says, absent in the body but present in the spirit. What he's doing there is basically what Jesus spoke to us about in verse 18, verse 19, and verse 20. is church discipline. And then it is validated on the, on the authority of the headship of the church because where two or three are gathered, there I am. On whatever righteous judgment as it pertains the parameters of the word that church leadership should give, it is as validated as the head of the church. Guys, do we understand this? Do we understand this? So, have I explained that verse 18, 19, 20 clearly? Exactly. NLT explains it well. NLT talks about correcting another believer, you see. Okay. I think ISV, the header in ISV talks about dealing with a brother who sins. Dealing with a brother who sins. Okay. Alright, so please, when you're reading your Bible, don't read with preconceived notion. Don't go to the Bible to sustain doctrine. Many of those verses you have quoted in Sunday school, it's time to go back and see where is it in the Bible. What exactly is he talking about? What exactly is he talking about? What exactly is he saying? Read the verses before. Read the verses after. Seek to understand what is being communicated. Alright? Seek to understand what is being communicated. Thank you for tuning in. Um, next week we're going to talk about the law of first mention. We'll talk about the law of first mention. Um, 
we'll treat that and then it will be a really amazing time. I think we'll just look at three words. We'll do it together, okay? We'll look at righteousness, we'll look at holy, we'll look at um, mercy. We'll look at those three words, really. Um, we'll basically see how to do Bible study on particular words in the Bible, okay? The law of first mention. That's another law of Bible interpretation, okay? I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more ministry content, visit niministries.org. God bless you.